Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. fostered in our children, I want you to ask me the hardest questions you can possibly ask because someone else is going to ask them those hard questions and I want to make sure that they actually own the answers. Now, it's up to them to decide or to not decide in the way that they should go at a certain point. You train a child in the way they should go, that's a moral imperative, but at some point the idea of the Christian faith being true or not, they have to embrace it themselves. Just how important is parental instruction when it comes to the Christian faith? Welcome back to Just Thinking. Christian parents have likely heard the verse in Proverbs instructing parents to train up a child in the faith so they don't depart from it later. But what does that mean? Ravi Zacharias is joined by colleague Abdu Murray to answer this question as we return to a Q&A forum at Yale University. Hello, um, first and foremost, thank you so much for coming. So in Proverbs 22.6, it says, uh, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And what I would like to know in my question is, how relevant is parental pedagogy to one's faith? And where is freedom from restrictions, as you had mentioned, Abdu, within this? That's a great question. You know, a pedagogical model can either be autocratic and dictatorial, or it can be more the Socratic method where a question is met with a question not to avoid answering but to get the person who's who's asking the question to actually have that that sort of aha moment that breakthrough moment I remember in some classes I took an undergraduate on psychotherapy and how actually psychotherapy works with regard to breakthroughs is that if the psychotherapist tells the patient even though he might have and she might have every reason to say I know what's going on with you they refrain from saying something because at some point the patient himself or herself has to say, this is what's going on, and that's when the breakthrough happens. So I think what happens with the, with the Christian faith, which says train a child in the way they should go, and when they are older, they will not depart from it. I think what's happening here is, a, is it's, it's a guide. It's a guide is train them in the moral law. That should is in there. That should is a moral word. The way they should go, the way they ought to go. We have a responsibility as parents to actually teach our children a moral framework. Because if you think about this, think about how often, have you ever had to teach a child how to lie? They, don't, they, they know how to do it pretty inherently. It's pretty fast and pretty easy. Or teach them how to say no or mine. That's probably the most common word out of a child's mind. But share, you gotta teach them that. So there's, there's, there's a moral framework that I think is built into the Proverbs. Teach them in the way they should go. And when they're older, they will not depart from it. The idea is that you teach them this moral framework. Now, at some point though, they've gotta own it. They've gotta own it. Because as a believer in God, a believer in Christ, I would never tell my son or my two daughters that as long as you believe what dad believes, you'll be fine. That's actually not true because Jesus is not going to look at them in the days to come. The father's not going to look at them and say, what did your dad believe? Who did your dad say that I was? It doesn't matter what I say they are. It matters what they say. So I want to foster into their faith the ability to ask questions. We do this quite often, actually. My, my children are exceptionally good at asking questions. They even do it by accident. My, my son was five. 
you know, and you know, kids get scared all of a sudden. And you remember when you were a kid, you were in a room by yourself, you heard a noise, you thought it was something coming to get you, you get scared, you whimper, you cry. I put my son to bed, we're walking downstairs when he was five years old, and he started to cry. I'm like, what's going on upstairs? So I went upstairs and I said, hey, Baba, Baba's like what you remember in German and Arabic to your son. I said, what, what's the matter? Are you okay? He said, I'm scared, Baba, I'm scared. And I said, what are you scared of? And he's like, I don't know. I just, I heard noises and all that. I said, well, what do we do when we're scared? He says, well, we pray. I said, okay. He says, but why? I can't hear God's voice. He doesn't come into the room. I didn't see him. This is a five-year-old asking me this question. How do I know he's there? Now, how do you explain the idea of material and immaterial objects to a five-year-old? What do you do with that? So we engaged in a dialogue and say, well, do you think that I have thoughts? He said, yeah. I said, you have thoughts, right? And he said, yeah. I said, I have thoughts, right? He said, yeah. I said, if I didn't ever say my thoughts to you, would you still think I had thoughts? Yeah. Well, can you see them? Can you touch them? Can you taste them? Can you smell them? Are they in the room? said, no. I said, well, God can be very much like that. He's real, even though he transcends your senses. Now, sometimes you might actually interact with your senses. Now, I did it a little more simply for a five-year-old, obviously. But here's the thing. At the end of it, he said, so I said, do you get it? He said, yeah, let's pray. <laughs> so we prayed. But these are the questions we've asked them to ask us. We fostered in our children. I want you to ask me the hardest questions you can, you can possibly ask because someone else is going to ask them those hard questions and I want to make sure that they actually own the answers. Now, it's up to them to decide or to not decide in a way that they should go at a certain point. You train a child in the way they should go. That's a moral imperative. But at some point, the idea of the Christian faith being true or not, they have to embrace it themselves. And I don't want them to wake up when they're 18 years old and say, I've been brainwashed for 18 years. You see, think, people think that only Christians or only religious people indoctrinate people. You know, in fact, from this very institution, and remember professors here, they issued this wonderful statement. My colleague Alicia Wood forwarded me this statement about thinking for yourself. Maybe you've seen the document. If you haven't, I urge you to read it. I don't know what the title of it is, but a number of professors from this university and other Ivy League universities have said, think for yourself. Don't just be a rebel but also think for yourself. And I'm trying to instill that into my children at an early age so that they actually own their faith, not so that they just repeat what dad said. So there's that freedom you've talked about now. The freedom that I would offer to my kids is this. I have come to a worldview that I think is true. It would be irresponsible of me to say, I don't care if you believe it or not. If it's true, I want you to believe it. So I have a responsibility to give them that but they have the freedom to question me on that. And when they get older and whatever, they're gonna decide for themselves. You see, freedom, I think, as I said before, has to have boundaries. And what I wanna do is give you an illustration of this before I finish the answer, because it's a very important question. Freedom has to have boundaries. My house backs up to a main road. I have a really nice backyard, big backyard. My kids can play in huge areas. But when they were younger, if there was no boundary, between the backyard and the main road, they would have no freedom to play in the backyard because I would never let them play in the backyard because kids being careless as they are, the ball would bounce into the street and the car would come by and wipe them out. So there has to be a boundary for them to have the freedom for the intended purpose of the backyard itself. There's gotta be a boundary. Otherwise they'd have no freedom to do it. I think inquiry and religious inquiry or non-religious inquiry has to have the boundary. And that boundary is reason and truth at some level. That's one of the boundaries. So I encourage my kids, use your reason. 
ask me the tough questions. Don't be afraid of any single question you might ask me, whether it's cultural or it's scientific or whatever it might be. I might not have all the answers, but I can guarantee you I will try my best to come to those truths with you, not for you. And that's, I think, where the boundaries have to be. There's a boundary of respect and truth, but you have to give them that freedom so that their faith, whatever it might be, I hope that it's a guide into the truth. And I believe that truth is the Christian faith. And if we can give them that, I think we can give them a lot. Great question. Thank you. I just want to add a very brief footnote because it's important. The pedagogical side, which has been covered. If you talk to a Hebrew scholar about that verse, Proverbs 22, 6, the Hebrew language is often puzzling to interpret in the subject-object distinction. That verse can just as legitimately be translated to bring up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, it will not depart from him. Not so much that he will not depart from it as it will not depart from him. You teach that child the scripture and the songs and the hymns. And even in their senior years, it'll come back into their memory. I was in the home of a Chinese man by the name of Wang Mingdao, who was imprisoned by Mao Zedong because he was an evangelist. And when he was in prison, he denounced his faith in order to be released, and they released him. He walked around the streets of Beijing after that saying, my name is Peter, I have denied my Lord. My name is Peter, I have denied my Lord. Mao put him back in prison for 18 years. I met with Wang Mingdao in his home shortly after he'd been released. And it's fascinating what he said to me. He said, in those 18 years in prison, the only thing that kept me going was the scriptures I'd learned as a younger man. I kept repeating the Bible, kept repeating the verses. And he said, every morning I would sing a hymn. My mother taught me all the way my savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly grace, divine my discomfort here by grace with him to dwell. For I know no matter what befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. He said I used to sing that every morning. The guards would try to silence me. Then after a few weeks, they would come and lean against my window to see if I was going to sing it. And finally, they would come and insist that I would sing it. They missed it every morning. And all that happened in his life was the way his parents had raised him. And he passed away some time ago. You bring up a child in the way that he should go according to God's precepts, even when he's old, he cannot outrun it. It'll come back to haunt him and bring it back to him. So that pedagogical clue may also be something important to bear in mind. We hope today's Q&A has encouraged you. And if you'd like to purchase a copy, be sure to call us at one 800 448-6766 and ask for the CD titled Yale Q&A. If you want to hear more about today's topic, you might check out Robbie's message titled Releasing the New Generation. And if you have more questions, be sure to visit us online at rzim.org and check out our Ask Away podcast where we answer questions from listeners. That's rzim.org or rzim.ca for those listening in Canada. We see it everywhere, from musicians and movie stars to neighbors and friends at work. People are interested in having a spiritual life, but treat faith more like an a la carte menu at a restaurant. 
choosing what they like and dismissing the rest. Oprah Winfrey and Deepak Chopra are the cheerleaders calling on Western culture to embrace a spirituality devoid of the biblical Christ. Cutting through the hype and seduction is the clear voice of author and apologist Ravi Zacharias. In his book, Why Jesus? Rediscovering His Truth in an Age of Mass-Marketed Spirituality, Ravi answers the attraction known as the new spirituality. It's so fascinating that people who are so successful look for spiritual answers, and when they end up with a sheerly mystical, without any doctrine and no person behind that truth, but they themselves, they end up actually disappointing their own pursuits. Billy Graham calls Why Jesus a powerful defense of how Jesus Christ brings meaning and hope to an individual life. And Charles Swindle says, I am not acquainted with a brighter mind or a more relevant and devoted defender of the faith than Ravi Zacharias. Why Jesus? Available online at rzim.org. To find out more about the ministry of RZIM or how you can partner with us, be sure to call us at 1-800-448-6766. We're so grateful for your prayers and your financial support allows us to encourage and equip Christians around the globe. If you'd like to contact us with comments, questions, or prayer requests, email us at rzim at rzim.org. Just Thinking is a listener-supported radio ministry and is furnished by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia.